Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using GrowCFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO Show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I've got Mike Whitmire with me, who is the CEO of a company called Flowcast. Hello, Mike. Hello, Kevin. Nice to meet you. Mike. Thanks for having me on. Mike, tell us a little bit more about yourself. So um, as you mentioned, I'm the co-founder CEO of Flowcast. We are a software company here in Los Angeles. We build something called accounting workflow automation. Um, I think we'll touch on kind of that a little bit and how it fits in the broader finance ecosystem later. Um, But I started my career in audit. So I joined Ernst & Young straight out of college. And uh, I'm born and raised in Los Angeles and wanted to get back home. So I moved back to LA and started auditing entertainment companies, right? I'm in Los Angeles, so I might as well get in the entertainment field from the accounting side of the house. And so that was my introduction to um, audit and accounting was through all these uh, film companies who do not care about accounting all that much. They care about producing films and albums and whatnot and not keeping a clean set of books. So the audit world was a complete mess for me. I stepped into these really difficult engagements and was working all kinds of hours. But all that said, the more you work, the more you learn. And so it was a great learning experience for me at EY. And about four years later, I left. Um, And when I was looking for a role, I really wanted to be part of an IPO. I think that's a fun process. And I've always been entrepreneurial and actually wanted to found my own company that I would take public one day. So I figured, let's take this opportunity to see what that's like, at least from the back office. And so started looking for a role and got really lucky in Los Angeles. There aren't a ton of pre-IPO companies. That's sort of an odd thing. Uh, But I happened to find this software as a service company by the name of Cornerstone On Demand. And when I joined there, I was interviewing with the CFO and he he was pitching me on the, the company and the product and they had just raised money and they were getting ready to go public. And so I was one of the first hires in the finance function to help get that going. And sure enough, we went public a year later. When I started, we had six people in accounting. By the time we went public, we had about 15, 15 or 16 or so. And then I was there for about three years. We scaled the team from the six when I started up to 50 or 60 by the time I left. Um, had a great IPO, got SOX compliant, you know, all these regulations we had to start to follow on the SEC side. Um, and as you get bigger, the month end close process just gets more complicated. You have more people working on this process. That's really a, a group project where we're all booking journal entries and closing the books together. You have a lot of individuals. So we had a lot of status update meetings to tell our CFO when the close was going to be done. We had a lot of inaccuracies as a result of the tie out and reconciliation process being so manual and so cumbersome. And so living through all those pain points, one day I just had the idea that, you know, there must be a better way to do this. Why isn't there software to make the month end close process easier? And that was the jump off point for Flowcast was uh, solving my own pain point as a senior accountant inside of a publicly traded uh, company. It was just solving some personal pain points. Tie out was brutal. I wanted a way to collaborate with my team, wanted a checklist. And that was the foundation for Flowcast. Left in 2013, started working on that. And we put our product out in the market in Q1 of 2015 and have been building on that ever since and uh, growing our business from there. The 2015, it's still a very, very young product. So five, six years on, what sort of size is Flowcast now? So in terms of, um, I guess, a couple, couple of ways I could answer that. Uh, employee count, we have about 250 employees today, and we're hiring aggressively up to 300. We have 1,300 clients on Flowcast. And that's uh, we sell mostly into 
what we call the mid-market and the lower enterprise. So that's companies with anywhere from 200 employees of the company up to 10,000 employees at the company, pretty broad range. Um, and what we did with the product is we started at the lower end of the range. So we went low and then built out our product to fit the needs of larger businesses from there. So we're really well suited to span that whole market and be able to sell and work efficiently with all of them. Um, we are, we're venture backed. So size of funding, we've raised 93 million uh, to date with some great VCs here in the, the US, Insight Venture Partners, Norwest, uh, uh, Polaris, Toba, and a couple others. So yeah, it's been, and I'm, I'm not going to disclose revenue, but it's been a real no, 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 ask you to. That's, that's, that's quite a journey. That's, that's some growth story so far. And yeah, it's, it's that, fun and stressful. Yeah. But what's, what's the fundamental problem that you're trying to solve? It's, so this is a really interesting question because the month end close and, and for some context, I didn't realize how difficult this was to explain until I started Flowcast and was speaking with uh, people who were not accountants, namely venture capitalists, right? I'm trying to explain accounting and it's when you're up high and you think about accounting, it comes off as something that's very simple. Like it's just numbers yeah. and you follow rules and, and what's so hard about this. But when you're actually in the trenches and in the weeds, you realize that every company is different. It's very difficult to automate a lot of this work. Standardization is key. And these are big department. These are big teams mm. who are working on one process. So I, I actually equate the challenge of the month end close and the people that you're managing similar to running a sales organization. Like we've had sales technology, we've had CRM solutions available for 40 years at this point, because managing a sales organization as a VP of sales, managing a bunch of individuals running around closing business when you have one goal to go after is very difficult to track. And so you need a CRM to be able to report on what's your outstanding pipeline, how much business has every account executive closed, are you going to actually hit your number, and how do you keep everyone on track? Within accounting, we have a team goal, which is we have to close the books by a certain date. We have a deadline that we have to hit, and those deadlines are non-negotiable. Like they're oftentimes from the SEC, they're mandated. If you're a private company, you have a board meeting that everything's backed around. So like our deadlines in accounting are non-negotiable, but it takes a team of 20 to 50 people to make all of that happen. And as a controller and a CFO, you have to have everyone working in lockstep to make sure you actually hit that deadline or else it's a complete mess and everyone's working, you know, hundred hours a week to hit the deadline and get it done. So I recognize that pain point around collaboration first and foremost. And as a, as an annoying millennial senior accountant, you know, I wanted to understand where I fit into the bigger picture and understand the team dynamics and everything. And so I really wanted transparency through my collaboration and didn't have any of that in an accounting function. I had no idea what anybody else on the team did. And that fosters a really poor culture with the generation of kids who like being managed through transparency today. And then all the annoyances that go along with it, there are little things like tying out your trial balance to your work papers. You're going back and forth through thousands of accounts and you're making sure stuff always ties out. But once you tie it out, it can still change after the fact. Like I had a, I had a team member book something to my account in NetSuite after I had already tied everything out. And so when I went to hand the documentation to our finance team and to the auditors, all of a sudden I'm handing them inaccurate information and I have no idea why it's off. Like one, one of the most one of the most mortifying moments of my life was when I handed the auditors a reconciliation that was off by $20 million. And, yeah. and, and the, that's, that was material for our, that was very material for our business. And 
the the simple reason was I had closed my account. I had tied everything out. It was disconnected because Excel was saved over here and NetSuite lives over here. And then our AR clerk, clerk reversed the topside entry I had booked for this absurd dollar balance. And all of a sudden I'm off by 20 million bucks and the auditors are looking at us like, do you have any idea what's going on at your company right now? How is your trial balance off by $20 million? And so that caused an audit headache and a blow up. Then there's communication. You have review notes back and forth. That's happening over email or over Slack or documented inside of work papers. You have SOX compliance, all the work that has to be tracked on a recurring basis to ensure that you're compliant with SOX. So I call it this death by a thousand paper cuts process, yeah. the month end close. There's all these little things pile up. And once you, so it's hard because any of those one things I just mentioned, it, it's you can overcome that. It's not end of the world stuff, but when you pile it all up together and Flowcast comes in with a solution that solves literally all of those problems, all of a sudden you make it way more efficient by you know, getting rid of those thousand paper cuts. I, mean, I, I can thoroughly, thoroughly associate with that. I mean, as a, as a youngster myself was doing exactly that sort of role in, in a major, major UK chemical company, ICI, um, okay. doing the month end close. That was, it was a chore. I hated it. And that is one of the reasons that I gave up being a, a line accountant, went off and became a management consultant instead. Um, Did you, were you working a lot of hours or was it just, you didn't enjoy the, the actual job? There's a bit of both. And I, I think we had it reasonably under control. So most of the time we weren't working a lot of hours, but it was, you know, it's working day one. Therefore we've got the sales number. It's working day three. Therefore we'll, put these journal entries through it's working day five we've got to have a uh, we've got to have a profit and loss account um yeah. and it was kind of the routine you know, there's no way you can take any annual leave during the first week of the month that for sure sort of thing you know and th- that's really the reason that I, I fell out of love with that sort of accounting so i'm really interested to see what a what a system can do that that makes that different. I think the, the second thing for me as well is that the job wasn't really about crunching the numbers. The job was about going talking to the rest of the business yeah. about what the numbers actually meant. Yep. That's, um, I think that's a common misconception of accountants is we're, we're number crunchers, but the reality is we have spreadsheets and calculators that do that stuff for us. It's mm-hmm. more so working. It's actually collaborating with the company and following processes, rules, regulations, and, you know, helping run an efficient business to me is really what an accountant helps do. Yeah. And where, where do you actually see the, the finance function going in the future? And the things are, things are changing, Mike, at a rapid pace at the moment. It's, it's really interesting. When I, when I started working, I, I joined EY in 2006. And I remember the CFO at my first uh, client and his job was basically to get the financial statements done, make sure they were prepared, put some light commentary around them and provide that to the CEO to make strategic decisions from there. And that was sort of my understanding of what a CFO did. Then when I founded Flowcast in 2015 and started chatting with more CFOs out there, I realized that that role had changed a lot. And it wasn't about just getting financials done and doing some interpretation and providing that to the CEO. They were doing so much more and it almost felt like, they were responsible for running the business. Like when I was chatting with some of these CFOs about what they actually do with some of them, I would sit, I would sit there silently in my head and think, well, what does the CEO do all day? This is, you know, what, what do they actually work on? Because they're doing things like 
taking the numbers and working with sales and developing go-to-market strategy based on what the metrics are spitting out. They're working with the operations team to put in processes, policies to ensure that you can scale, you know, sales discounting is a common thing that occurs at all SaaS companies. And you need a CFO to come in and put in some, some processes to keep that in check and help you scale efficiently. So it's way more than overseeing finance and accounting and making sure your budget and your financial statements are done. It's about, that's great. That's one small component of your job. It's about taking that and then leveraging it to develop strategy, develop operations and think really out into the future, you know, two or three years about what do I need to do today to make sure that we're staged for success in two or three years. And it's been, and then in our time founding Flowcast, that's become even more extreme in the last five or six years. And so the expectations of a CFO are really high. And we've actually just kicked off our hiring process for the CFO role at Flowcast. So despite our size, we've never had a CFO. I've just been handling all of this work um, inception today, but it's, it's, you know, sitting down with our search firm, coming up with the profile of who we want to hire, the availability of skill sets out there. I mean, it's hard to find a great CFO, but it's amazing how broad the skill sets are mm -hmm. and how they're kind of varying at this point. Like I've noticed there's a, there's a development. It seems like there's a strategic banker type CFO out there. So if I wanted somebody who had great connections on Wall Street or within the private equity or the venture capital community, they come from the banker world and are your classic loud, bombastic finance person who could be on the road helping me raise money. Then you have sort of the strategic finance forward-looking person who's really going to be thinking about what does the company look like in two years and how do we make sure that we're as big as possible, that we've grown as quickly as possible. And then more of the operational type, which usually comes up through an accounting background, understands how to run an efficient business and can basically make it such that the CEO can focus on only forward-looking things and strategy, sleeping well at night, knowing that the business is being run by the CFO. And that's the kind I'm looking for. I would like to hand all of that work off and find more of an operationally focused CFO. But it's just so interesting how all those skill sets I just laid out are way broader than what the CFO did at my first publicly yeah. traded client in 2006. And do you think it's possible for a CFO to have all of those skills? It's definitely possible. It's a unicorn. I'd love to hire one of them. I mean, ne never, never say never, but that means you need to find someone who I, I think maybe the best background would be someone who started at like a consulting firm, like a, like a McKinsey or something to that effect, and then moved into the banking world, got some time as an analyst and got to know Wall Street well and then moved into an operations or a finance role within a, within a business itself and somehow checked every box through that route. So they saw the fundraising, the operations and the strategy, but that's just a hard career path to start to develop for yourself. And so yeah. I found you have to compromise in some aspects. And it's really about, for me personally, it's about thinking about the rest of the executive team, where are we great already and where do we want to plug the gaps? And then fortunately for me and sort of selfishly, it's what do I not want to do anymore? What, what stuff do I want off my plate? And I, I'm going to hire for that. And then this is the interesting dynamic. And within Grow CFO, we've got our future CFO program. And that starts off in, in the first couple of modules. We're taking a, a good audit of, of people's existing skills. Yeah. Skills gaps. We've got a competency framework that we get people to, to assess themselves against sort of nine core competency areas. And there's five further sub-areas sub with each of the nine. And people get a shock when they look at this overall and think, well, hang on, I am weak 
add a whole load of stuff. I'm strong at a few of these. I'm weak at a whole load. How am I ever going to develop the whole lot? And I think one of the answers we come back with is say, well, you never will. Mm-hmm. And you know, work out what it is that you, you like doing, what it is that you think you're going to need to be able to do in the next few years in your career. Don't necessarily worry about the rest because you can always outsource. You can, you can get... You can get consultants, you can get project managers in and all sorts of things to to help you with some of the stuff that you're not comfortable with yourself. Yeah, Hi- hiring is is key around that. And then uh, also finding the right organization that fits your skills with the, like I was referring to earlier with finding the right fit for our, exec- our specific executive team. You know, when looking for a role, it goes down to little things like that you're interviewing at a company and how, how does your skill set complement the rest of the executives around the yeah. table? And so, you know, asking it's during an interview process, it's, does the job make sense for you? And those are important questions to ask as well. Yeah. And do you think with, with your accounting finance background, that the CFO that comes into your organization is going to have enough headroom or, or I, is it really going to allow you to move onto things that are, are non CFO space? Well, I, I really, so I sort of oversee most of the company at this point. Uh, the, my co-founders oversee engineering, um, the product team, and the customer success team. And I have everything else reports up to me. So when I look at, at all of everything else, what I've found that I really enjoy is the product side and the marketing side of the organization. Yeah. You know, I get to chat about the pain points and, and kind of live my, my challenges from back in the day and then talk about how our solution is solving a lot of those. So I've naturally found, and then obviously I love product, you know, the company is a product. And so building the product is just so fun to me. And so the three founders, we all focus on product, but we have our own areas from there. Um, and so I found marketing is my favorite. So I hired a CRO, he's taken over sales, BD. We have a great CMO who just started, who I'm working with on marketing really heavily. And I, I enjoy the finance and accounting and I'm, I'm good at it, but that's the obvious thing that has to be handed off to a CFO. And so I'll, I'll dish that off. Um, and then things like HR recruiting, compliance, IT, those are things that I'm happy to not have roll up to me anymore and make a lot more fit to move under a CFO. So those are the skills where it's like, I think we could really level up by getting the right person in here. And that'll drive a lot of efficiency for the company, particularly someone who's seen the next hundred million of recurring revenue that we're going to add and understand how things are going to change as we scale. It's that forward looking person who's been, been there, done that before that I think will suit us well. And so when we think about the CFO, I, I love fundraising. I'm pretty decent at it. We've raised almost hundred million to date with me being the sales guy of the company. I think that'll continue to work. So I don't care too much about a wall street person who knows has their connections and can raise money. Like I'm confident we'll be able to figure that out on the go-to-market side. I don't need a CFO who can take all the numbers and help develop a go-to-market strategy. I have a great CRO and myself, I'm very into that. And so I don't know if there's much, I mean, there's room for improvement always, but I think the most material area for improvement is around operations and staging us for success at this point. And I just don't have time nor the desire to do that kind of work. So I'm happy to hand that off on our, to our new CFO. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, and just getting that, that kind of, a view from a, from a CEO as to what sort of CFO he wants. It gives so much insight into those people that are aspiring to that sort of role. I, um, I will say we're unique. It's a, I'm an odd 
CEO with the with the account the CPA and the accounting background. But yeah, that's the just in general broad based. Those are kind of the when I talk with other CEOs, that's how that's how we lump the CFO skill set. Uh, how we kind of chop it up, and then if you can yeah. find people who cross over and have multiple skill sets, that is that is ideal. That's that's great, but it is hard to find folks who span all areas of the business like that. Yeah, so let's pick up on something you talked about earlier on. You talked about the the way the millennial accountant might want to work these days. Tell me a little bit about what you would see a modern, really modern future-looking finance function looking like, Mike. Well, so this is... I have no, all right, I'm going to be the ignorant American. I don't know if I'm getting into cultural differences here or not. So I speak, I speak for American 20 and 30 somethings, not necessarily for the whole world when I say this. Um, but the culture that is developing within the younger workforce is this need or this desire to feel like you know where you fit in the bigger picture. And this, this was very personal for me at Cornerstone. I, I loved hearing our CEO speak around our corporate strategy and what we were doing and how the market was evolving. And I'll, you know, I'll never forget one of our all hands where he gets up and we're getting ready to go public and he explains what's going to happen in the competitive landscape. And then over the following nine months, it all played out exactly that way. But I left that, I left that conversation just like, okay, I know where we fit into the big picture. I'm really excited to go back to work. All I'm doing is booking revenue journal entries. Like I'm not changing the world or changing the face of the organization or anything like that. But emotionally, I felt more bought in just because I knew what was going on. Then when I go back to my desk and start working with my team, I'm doing my job, but I'm reliant on many other people to get their work done before I can actually start my job. So dependency issues within my team, and then other people are working on my accounts as well. However, in that micro environment within my organization, I have no idea what anyone's doing. And I don't feel like I'm part of a team because I'm not, I'm just a guy at my desk doing my journal entries. And when I need to talk to one person, I talk to one person or whatever. So one of the, one of the things about project management tools in general that we noticed um, is that oftentimes it's built for a manager and then the individuals, it's built for them to track their own work. And so, and explain, and basically report up to the manager what they're working on. And it yeah. creates, it creates additional work for that individual contributor. Mm -hmm. So they don't want to use it and you end up having adoption problems. And then the general, the general mindset of the folks who built a lot of those kind of older collaboration applications is accounting is someone should put on their blinders, focus on getting their job done, bang out their journal entries. And if everyone has their blinders on and focuses like that, that's how we get things done the fastest. That is just completely false from my perspective because everything is more so interdependent on each other. And culturally, that doesn't foster a good environment within a company. And all of a sudden, culture is becoming very important within an accounting department because people quit now. They're not loyal to your business if they don't enjoy being there. So people quit all the time. And if you don't build a good culture, you're going to be dealing with a mass exodus and having to turn people over. And the cost to replace an employee is significant. It's two times the annual compensation of that employee is what it costs to replace them. So time going into a search, maybe paying a search firm, all of the interviewing, ramping them up afterwards and the time it consumes from the rest of your team, all of that piles up and you don't wanna be losing people. So building a great team and a great culture is important. And the way Flowcast as an application is structured is we're a collaboration tool. Since I was an individual contributor, I selfishly built something that would benefit me. So we help the individual contributor get their job done faster. 
We don't ask them to change their behavior. It's just, we're a cog in their existing machine that helps increase efficiency. And then our dashboarding capability is insanely transparent. You can go to one page and everyone can see what everyone else is working on. And it builds this team environment with camaraderie. And all of a sudden something happens, which is peer pressure starts to kick in. And it's the best form of pressure out there. It's organic, it's peer. And as a controller, what then happens to your organization is within the first month of buying Flowcast, it gets adopted. Your team loves it because it's saving them time. They can all see what everyone else is working on. Peer pressure starts to kick in and we see close, closes shorten immediately. Like 30% in the first month is what we see from our clients. And the controller doesn't have to do anything. They don't have to pound their fist and tell people to use the new product or anything like that. The team just pushes each other to do it. And I didn't, I didn't have this understanding when founding the company. I wasn't like, this is the dynamic I'm going to create within an accounting function. I was not that visionary at all. It just organically turned out that way. But man, peer pressure is so powerful. And when everyone knows what everyone's doing, no one can hide in the corner and be lazy anymore. And it builds great teams. It's how you build the, great, the best team possible for your finance org. That's really, really clever. And effectively, you've used gamification in the accounting function. It, yeah, you've it's gamified it's, everything. You've made it competitive between individuals. And accountants are surprisingly competitive. You'll, yeah. we, we, we do a lot of surveys of the market and it's not a trait that I think the average person would stereotype an accountant as having, but we found that, that they are. It's really interesting. And I, I can reflect on that further. Having moved from being a, a, an accountant to being a management consultant, working with a load of fellow accountants who are also management consultants, I think we were even more competitive than, than the guys that were staying in the line jobs. It's, uh, I, I can tell you, I'm, I'm maybe too competitive. Uh, not, it's not bad for starting a company and competing against you know, other behemoths in the software world, but yes, uh, hyper competitive and I love this stuff. Yeah. So Mike, Flowcast been going for five, six years. You're in your effectively second major company founding phase. What does the next 10 years look like for Mike? Next 10 years is hopefully we are going public in three years. I would like to run a public SaaS company for five years. And then I would like to take a year off and play golf like a professional, like a PGA pro, practice for a year, get a coach, see how good I can get. And then uh, we will see what's next after that. But I'd like to get really good at golf while I'm still a little bit flexible so I can be decent at it as I get old. And so that's the 10, that's the 10 year plan is uh, three as a private company, we go public five as a public CEO, hopefully, and then uh, right off into the sunset and go play a lot of golf for a little while until I figure out what I want to do next. Love that idea of the year off playing golf. I, I quite fancy doing that myself. The only problem is I know I'm no good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I just want to, you know, consistently be in the eighties the as an old man walking around the course. That's uh, that's what I'm targeting for. And I figure if I can really get into gear now, it'll be uh, locked in for, yeah, uh, for that'd the be rest nice. of life. That'd hopefully. be nice. That's brilliant. Yep. Mike, it has been super having you as a guest today on the Gross CFO show. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it, Kevin. 